to me, the right reason to be an entrepreneur isn't about just hating your job. It's about really having a passion and a purpose to go and do something that's meaningful to you. Welcome to Behind the Brands, presented by NEO. We take an inside look at the leaders behind today's most influential brands. I'm your host, Jeff Adamson. As a co-founder of Skip the Dishes and NEO Financial, I am fascinated by what it takes to build great companies. On this podcast, you'll get to meet the masterminds behind the brands we interact with every day and get a behind-the-scenes look at the what, the why, and the how from a leader's perspective. Let's get going. My guest today is someone many of you will be familiar with. Arlene Dickinson. Arlene is a legendary figure in the Canadian business community and star of the hit CBC show, Dragon's Den. Arlene is an entrepreneur and best-selling author of three books, Persuasion, All In, and her most recent, Reinvention. Currently, Arlene is the CEO of Venture Park, which includes District Ventures Capital, which has raised a whopping $100 million to invest in innovative health and food companies. More than this, Arlene's story is an inspiration to millions of Canadians, and she continues to push the boundaries of what is possible. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Arlene. Welcome. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start out. What's keeping you busy these days? Oh, so much. I'm, I'm busy building out Venture Park, which is a business growth ecosystem to support companies and early stage companies in the food and health and personal care space. And that's been keeping me pretty busy. You've spoken openly about your upbringing and, and some of the challenges that you faced prior to joining Venture Communications. When you think of these challenges, what really stand out as being formative in who you are today? I think growing up as immigrants um, and in poverty probably just created a foundation of values and work ethic that I might not have gotten otherwise. So certainly coming to Canada um, without any money with my family and growing up without any kind of network of support around us, you know, no real family around us, you know, no kind of understanding of the culture that really creates a, a sense of, you know, you know, you do have to rely on yourself a lot and you have to figure out how to fit in quickly and get yourself motivated. So I think those things are probably foundational to who I am. You obviously run a very successful number of, of ventures and you, everyone says you have to spend money to make money. And so how do you think about frugality when it comes to especially things like marketing, which marketing is quite expensive. Well, marketing is an investment, not an expense. <laughs> Jeff, let's start there. Like, <laughs> I had a feeling you're going to say that. I started off in business in 1988. And, and that was through, a, you know, just recessionary period, you know, I bootstrapped. And I actually think bootstrapping is undervalued in, in startups that, you know, everybody thinks that it's all about getting too much cash and just get me a lot of capital and let's raise a lot of money. And there is a point, there's certainly a timing is everything about raising money. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you're frugal and when you bootstrap your business, I mean, you know this better than anyone, Jeff, like too much money can be a death sentence to a business. It can, it doesn't always create the right types of behavior. It actually creates excess and it allows people to be frivolous and, and not think and th as thoughtful about their spend. And so the frugality really helped me think differently about how to invest and the investment turned into thinking about how to invest in myself and making sure that I was able to grow the business. Money does beget money. There's no two ways about that. But in order to get the success, I think you don't, don't always need an abundance of money. You need an abundance of vision and support around you with people and be able to kind of make a dime into a dollar. Those things you will stay with you forever in your business, even when you do end up with lots of money around you. 
even in our past when we were building skip the dishes we were you know a couple of people from the prairies no one had ever heard of food delivery it's like around when the ipad was first invented and when we were talking to restaurants they were more interested in looking at an ipad than they were about actual food delivery <laughs> and we weren't able to really raise any capital at all we got laughed out of a lot of rooms you know that the constraint of not having capital really forced us to be innovative do you find that there's more innovation in companies that have constraints put on them or do you see that companies that do raise large amounts of capital are able to be, you know, take bigger risks and be more free in how they innovate? I think there's um, examples of both, you know, and it, it comes back to the entrepreneur and what they need in order to fuel kind of the, the vision they have. But, you know, the, that, that old saying of, you know, necessity is the mother of invention is, is, is still very true. Like, you know, like you, you create things simply because, you know, you create new ways of doing things. So you don't have a lot of money to do it any other way. And sometimes in doing mm-hmm. that, you find places and, and, and opportunity that others have missed because they, they didn't have to look. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's businesses that have done very well because they've had the capital to support their ambitious growth. I mean, you know, as a startup in the tech space that capital is everything. You need a lot of capital to build the businesses up. There's this competitive force that's on you. There's this internal pressure to be able to value. There's shareholder pressure to try and do all these things. And so you've mm-hmm. got a lot of competing interests. And But I still say that raising capital at the right time is very important. Yeah. And it's a bit of a lifeline for a lot of companies. But to go back to your earlier point, you have to be smart with how you're spending it or else pretty soon, you know, investors are going to come back saying, hey, like, what have you done with it? Yeah, and today I still, I, I have to say, you know, there's a lot of companies that I know of in the market that, you know, are unicorns that have never been able to generate any revenue, have never been able to really do it, like build technology that's super new, you know, like so we've got to be more, I think, cautious about how we think about growth. You know, most people, I think when they see the Arlene Dickinson, they think the Arlene Dickinson, the dragon, the successful entrepreneur, best-selling author. But at 31, that wasn't really who you were. You were unemployed, divorced, mother of four. What do you think people don't understand about going from 31-year-old Arlene to the Arlene that's sitting here in front of me? I think they don't understand what you both gain and what you give up along the way. You know, um, and again, Jeff, you know this as an entrepreneur. I mean, there's there's a price you pay to be where you are. And whether that's giving up some your family time, whether that's giving up friends because you, you know, you just don't have time for it, or whether that's kind of always having to make these great decisions and choices, you know, as you go that you never even anticipated you'd ever have to make and trying to constantly test yourself about what you're you're capable of and what you will do and what you won't do. And mm-hmm. and so I, I'd say, you know, there's um I, I would hope that much of who I am from when I was 31 is still present. And I would hope that I haven't become hardened as a result of the things that have um, transpired over all these years in business. But I would say that what people probably don't recognize is, you know, you gain a lot, but you also lose a lot. Yeah. And there's that the trade-offs. And I, I certainly feel that I've, I've got a a 22 month old at home, um, you know, wife and you know, family that's kind of spread out across the prairies and you can't be everywhere all at once. Do you have a framework and or a way that you think about decision making when you think about your own investments that you're making in, with your time into your businesses or your own business? How, how do you kind of go through that, that mental math? I believe we all have to prioritize each and every day. And, you know, and, and, and if you don't start with a priority that says my family comes first or my, what, you know, mm-hmm. we all have, you know, is it family? Is it health? Is it, is it friendships? Is it business? When you say my business comes first, I think you 
are really doing a disservice to yourself because your business hasn't got any ability to really give you what you need as a human, right? It, it, it may help nourish you in terms of your ambition. It may help nourish you in terms of, you know, the opportunity it provides. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I personally go down the list of if my kids, like, for example, Jeff, if, my, if any of my kids called me right now, I would pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to figure out that, no, I, I had to put them first. And if, if somebody said, make a decision right now on my health and, and I had to make a choice, go for exercise or work for an hour, I have to make those prioritization decisions mm-hmm. and I have to go, no, I need to do the walk. And so I'd say prioritizing and knowing what you care about first and foremost and putting them in that order as you make your choices is way more important than people think it is. Otherwise, you're constantly going to make a choice to choose your business because mm-hmm. it's always going to be demanding. It's always going to be that that hungry you know, feed me, feed me, feed me. I need your time. I need your energy. I need your resources. And meanwhile, the people that aren't asking for these things, the humans that mm-hmm. are in our life are the ones that suffer as a result of us not choosing them. Yeah, there's really a, a, a bottomless appetite that every company mm-hmm. has because you could, there's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough time to get everything done. You could pour everything into it and it would still want more. Yeah. Yeah. And it won't care if you're not healthy or happy. And it's not going to come visit you in the hospital. Right. When you look at entrepreneurs today versus entrepreneurs maybe 10 years ago, do you see a different calculus being made when they're making decisions? Like, do you feel like we're prioritizing health and family more nowadays? I think what people talk about here is they would say, yes, it's all about social enterprise and people are caring more. And I think that's very true that um, businesses that are established today are much more in tune with what's going on in their communities and care more about giving back, whether it's, you know, whether they're giving back through some sort of donation or whether their causes are baked into who they are. Mm. But I would say that there's some lip service that's, you know, like, yes, of course, I, I think we all have to think that way. And I think everybody is, but the real, the really successful entrepreneurs I see very few of them Aren't, aren't doing exactly what I did when I started my business, which is working really hard, working many hours, doing all the things you have to do to be successful. Like finding that balance, I think, is is much more difficult than it's perceived. And so there's this this notion that a new type of entrepreneur is much more balanced. And I think there's a lot of lifestyle entrepreneurs out there that are. Mm-hmm. But I think that ones that are building true big businesses probably are... Uh, still working too much. It's interesting now that because you have services like AWS that allow you to kind of start a business a lot easier than it was maybe 20 years ago, you have a lot, like the, the barriers to entry are a lot lower. And so you, I think it's brought in a lot of diversity in the goals that people might have when it comes to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, if you needed 200 grand, you know, $500,000 to start a company, you're probably more committed early on and so you're probably going to go full on earlier than nowadays where you can kind of just do it on the side. And most people are working their, their side hustle. It's a big thing right now uh, while they're working a full-time job. Yeah. And I think that's another version of burnout. You know, like <laughs> I think that's another way to burn out, right? So like we just, we're calling it something different, but that's my point. I think people yeah. who really are committed to doing something are, are probably working harder and doing more than they need to be or should be. For their own personal health but mm-hmm. it's interesting to me the side hustle thing is very interesting to me i know through the pandemic they're saying a lot of people are keeping their full-time jobs and doing something else i'm thinking is that okay like i don't think that's okay but you know <laughs> we're doing it you want to de-risk 
the decision to kind of go full time at something. You know, there's a lot of people I think that have these dreams of doing something that they've always wanted to do and hopefully being able to make a go at it. But a lot of people are trapped within large companies and they can't escape because they you know, maybe they're making a good paycheck. Uh, maybe it's very comfortable and stable, predictable. But you, like in your own career, Arlene, like you made the leap to become a, you know, in quotes, partner, you know, venture communications early on. And I don't believe that venture communications was a household name at the time, was it? No, we didn't even make any, we didn't, couldn't even pay ourselves. <laughs> but I think, I think that's the whole point of it is you can say that you don't want to do, you know, like to, to do all these things and you don't want to quit your corporate job because, you know, what if I quit my corporate job, then I lose my safety net. But entrepreneurs forever have been doing that. I mean, you know, I, I had no safety net. So somebody might've said, well, why would you start that job? Why don't you go and, you know, mm-hmm. like do something else so you can get a salary? Yeah. Um, so the risk I took was that I was going to make money by working hard and eventually be able to pay that off. But I, I wasn't able to even pay myself. So, yeah. you know, there was debt accumulating. So I don't know. I, I would say that it's an excuse. I, I think, you know, jump in like you don't don't do it as a side hustle. You know, give yourself the chance to make it work. And if it doesn't work, go do something else. This is the human condition in general is are we doing things that are giving us purpose or are we just doing things that pay our bills, but you're never going to become an entrepreneur if you do that. Like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I know that sounds very harsh and I don't mean to sound disrespectful. I know that people, well, I don't there think are it lots is. People that have. Yeah. I don't think it is Arlene, but at that stage in your life though, 99.9% out of a hundred people would have taken a, you know, safe job, right? They yeah. would have, they would have just gone and got uh, whatever salary they could get. You know, they would have just seen where that went. How did you go, th- like, what was your process for making that decision, evaluating the risk at that stage? Because I think there's a lot of people listening who want to take that risk, who want to be able to go and take that leap, but they don't know how to think about it. And they, they don't know how to evaluate risk. How did you go through it? There's two questions there. The first one, then evaluating the risk. There's never been a less expensive time to start a business. Correct. Ever. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, if you want to start a business today, it's incredibly inexpensive the, between the internet and technology and manufacturing capabilities and all of the things that mm-hmm. have happened in the course of the last decade, you can start a business very inexpensively. So yep. then you have to ask yourself, what's stopping you from starting the business is likely your fear of whether or not you can make a success of it. Yep. And so when you asked me that question, what drove me to join venture was I didn't really feel like I had any other option. I, I, I was like, this is at least something I can at least get going here. And mm. I can say that I've got a job and I can work hard. And, and the worst thing that will happen is it doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I end up with some debt. The best thing that could happen is that I might do well with it. But I had no training, no schooling, no skill sets. Like, Mm -hmm. Jeff, I didn't exactly have, like, I could have, I didn't have, like, a whole ton of opportunity in front of me. So this was the door that opened, and I chose to walk through it. There's a lot of people who I think are struggling with that. And I remember when people would ask, you know, at what point did I feel like Skip was successful? And truthfully, almost never. And that fear of, like, is it going to be successful? And it's like, well... It may never, but it's kind of like, are you, what are the motivations for really getting into it? And I mean, you speak to so many entrepreneurs. I'd love to hear about when you think of kind of the the bulletproof reasons for doing what you're doing. I remember in All In, you were talking about how each person needs to have their own bulletproof reason for doing what they're doing. But this is really individual. And a lot of people I see getting into entrepreneurship for the wrong reasons. I see people who 
want to be perceived in a different way in the eyes of others or people who want to get rich. Uh, and then this this can ultimately lead to disappointment, broken relationships, financial mm -hmm. ruin. What do you think are some of the the right reasons for someone to to take that leap and take those risks? Well, it's such a great time to tell that question because, you know, you're seeing this, the great resignation that's happening across, you know, the world and particularly in North America where people are quitting their jobs en masse because they, they want to, they think they want to either start something on their own or they've been able to save money through what's happened as a result of mm -hmm. the wage subsidy programs, as well as, you know, the cost of living in the last couple of years and because we have been going out, so we'd be able to save more money because we've stayed in, et cetera, all of those reasons. And so they're yeah. sitting on a nest egg. And so they are quitting their jobs and they're, and many of them are saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. To me, the right reason to be an entrepreneur isn't about just hating your job. It's about really having a passion and a purpose to go and do something that's meaningful to you. You know, it's fair if you hate your job, you should quit your job. Like you should find something that you can love. But I always talk to people about it's not when you're an entrepreneur, it's not about finding your passion as much as it is about finding your purpose. And I actually think whether you're an entrepreneur or not, that's true. It doesn't matter if you're starting a business or not. Yeah. We have to figure out what our why is. And so the best reason I can give you to be an entrepreneur is because you need to live your why. You have got a purpose and that purpose is meaningful to you. And if that is something that gets out of bed every day and make you feel like you're changing, you know, the world and yourself for the better and that you're accomplishing the things that are going to make you feel fulfilled, then that's a good reason to be an entrepreneur. If you're doing it because it feels like it's a good lifestyle and because, hey, nobody's going to tell me what to do and I'm going to, I'm going to make all the money and no one else will get any. If you're doing it for those reasons, highly mm -hmm. unlikely you're going to succeed. At. Mm -hmm. well, why is it unlikely though? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's obvious for a lot of people. Would you mind explaining a bit more about if your goal is a, a, to get rich or to kind of be famous, why is that not going to work out well for you? I've always thought that getting rich, you know, making money in the business is an outcome, not a not a goal. And it's an outcome of a goal. You know, if you're accomplishing your goal and, and there's capital to be gained as a result of that, then, you know, it's kind of a double mm -hmm. win. You've done something that's really important to you and you made money as a result of it. That's great. But if you start off with the notion, I, and I'm wrong saying that you're not going to succeed, you very well could succeed. You very well could start your business because you want to make a lot of money. And along the path, you will trample people. You will do whatever it takes to make money because that's your goal. Your goal is money and you're mm -hmm. going to do everything you can to drive to that goal. Yeah. And you will leave a lot of wreckage in your path and you will have money at the end of it potentially. And you will probably only have money because your friends yeah. will be gone. Your family will be gone and your life will be yeah. will not be great. It's not that you won't succeed. I guess it depends what you can, how yeah. you define success. You you might build something, but it's probably a house of cards because there's no real value to it. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of evidence out there. Money ultimately, in the end, isn't going to be the thing that makes you at the absolute happiest. No, and I can say that as somebody with money, you know, like I, I, you know, I because I don't want to sound hypocritical. Like I, I've lived without it. I've lived in poverty and I've lived with money and mm -hmm. there is nobody going to tell me that my life is an easier with money. It is like there, it is far easier to live with capital and having your wealth, but it, it didn't make me happy. Mm -hmm. It makes my life easier, which ultimately provides some sense of happiness, yeah. but it doesn't make me fulfilled. And so I think there's a big, you just learn that, you know, Hey, when I didn't have money, I was happy mm -hmm. doing small things. And when I do have money, I'm still happy doing small things, right? It's yeah. the, it's the stuff that matters. What advice would you give people who 
haven't yet found their purpose and their why. Everyone knows that they should have it. And I think everyone is hungry for it. And people are searching for it. You are someone who I feel like has found it, um, but maybe didn't always have it. Was there a, a process that you went through that was deliberate in discovering? And, and is it even a discovery or is it something that just is an uncovering over time? My why has changed over the years, Jeff. It's not, it hasn't stayed the same. I think it's totally fine for your purpose in life to evolve and change depending on your circumstances. And, and what gets me out of bed every day today is different than what got me out of bed every day 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, when you want to find your why, it is, it, I kind of, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it is really kind of why do you, why are you doing what you're doing? I do understand what it's like to have the stress of having to work to pay bills and having to take any job in order to pay bills. I get mm-hmm. that. And your why might simply be that. My why is I need to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you need to ask yourself why you're doing exactly what you're doing in order to provide for your family. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a lot of self work and people don't like to ask themselves why they do what they do. We don't, we're human. We only want to think about what's going to come next and what the future is going to look like. And we don't want to stop and say, how did I get here? And mm-hmm. why do I get up every morning to do these things? And mm-hmm. what could I do? I mean, these, this is hard work and it's heavy lifting of really self analysis that very few people want to do because it's painful and it, we don't want to think about the past. We don't think about why we are where we are. We don't want to think, we just want to do because yeah. somehow in doing we're, we're living. And so how do you find your why? You have to stop and ask yourself what matters to you. So what's the why of 2021 for Arlene? Well, uh, the underlying why for me will always be my family, always, mm-hmm. always uh, my family. But I, I'd say this two part it's, it's number one, um, helping in Canada, our food and health personal care CPG space mm-hmm. to become more of a global presence to help businesses in those spaces to grow and develop and to help Canada's agricultural and health and CPG businesses in, in general and the sectors to succeed. Mm-hmm. I think we have focused far too long on, and I, with all due respect, um, I, I mean, I love tech companies too, but it's either been technology or, mm-hmm. or energy. And we have two very big sectors, agriculture and health, mm-hmm. that I want to support and continue to help Canada flourish on the global stage. And so it's it's supporting our nation, entrepreneurs, and it's supporting entrepreneurs specifically in the food, health, and personal care space in the CPG world to succeed. So it's two-pronged. It's I want to help our country, and um, I want to help people be healthy, and I want to help them eat well, and I want to help them take care of themselves more effectively. And I can think of no better way to do that because of my experience than to invest in entrepreneurs that are focused on that. Mm -hmm. Like we are an agriculture powerhouse in Canada. Yeah, it just seems like a lot of the, whether it's commercialization or the real value creation seems to occur elsewhere. And I can see that you're nodding here. So I feel like you preaching to preaching to the choir a little bit. No, that's what got me going in all this was that I, I, I have a fundamental belief that no stick should leave this country without value being added to it. Mm-hmm. And, and we are a country that ships our commodities to other nations to turn into products that we then buy back. Yep. And that makes no sense. You know, we have all this expertise in agriculture, all this expertise in health. We have some of the world's best ingredients. Mm-hmm. Do we want to be an ingredient supplier or do we want to be a producer of goods and products that can actually help feed the globe and actually help 
Uh, and, and do we want to get the benefit of that last mile of commercialization? And that is why I focus on the CPG space in particular, because that is where the value is. That is where the opportunity lies in our country. And mm-hmm. that is where we are not putting enough effort behind it. And that's the whole reason behind Venture Park. And I'm going to get into Venture Park a little bit, but I, I'm curious to know, like as a as a Canadian, you're someone who talks a lot about your pride as uh, someone from the prairies. What do you see as our strengths as Canadians? And what do you see as the successful ingredients in entrepreneurs from Canada? You know, listen, I think any entrepreneur has to have tenacity and persistence and, and a vision. And they have to be determined with a, a grit that is really uh, like deep. Mm-hmm. Personal. I think in particular in Canada, though, where we have, if I can talk to the negative for a minute, I know that's not what you asked, but I do feel that in Canada, we are taught to not take risks. So this nation is a very risk adverse nation. Um, And not only is it risk adverse as a nation, but in addition to that, we almost punish people that put their head up too high when they are entrepreneurs. And we don't really reward entrepreneurs in this country to help them kind of be all they can be. And in Canada, it seems like we have this fear of a failure that seems greater um, than other countries and a fear of risk taking. Um, We kind of aim a lot lower. And then when people do fail, I feel like there's almost maybe a little bit less forgiveness for those people who don't succeed. Do Do you find that as well? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it fear as much as complacency. I think there's such a good social net for us if we do not succeed that we're we're pretty well taken care of in this country. I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff yeah. we could do better and there's things that we need to do better. But in general, why put your neck out? We don't think about how important it is to get people to reach their personal best. And mm-hmm. entrepreneurs in the country, to your point, if you're in the States and you know, Bill Gates walks by or Warren Buffett walks by or name, you know, 50 entrepreneurs, I could name 50. You know who they are. Everybody knows who they are. People recognize them because they're, even though they're entrepreneurs, people know who they are. Yeah. In Canada, there's some pretty darn famous entrepreneurs that n- nobody knows who they are. Yeah. And why? That's because we don't celebrate them. We don't talk about them. We don't, we talk about, you know, we celebrate their business potentially. And if you're lucky enough to be like me and you're on television, you might get, you know, like some sort of you know recognition for being an entrepreneur. But in general, mm-hmm. people do not know entrepreneurs. They think about entrepreneurs as small business owners. They don't think about them as true visionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, they think about, which again, not to in any way d- disparage small business owners. I love small business. Um, but there is a difference between, the, I would say, a, an entrepreneur who's building a, a billion dollar company or even a you know a hundred million dollar company versus somebody who's running uh, a small business who wants it as mm-hmm. a lifestyle, which is fine too, but they're very, they're different. Yeah. Um, and and I think we just do a really crummy job we, from everything from the capital we provide to them, to the recognition we give them, to the support that we give them, to the all of it. There's an opportunity to change that. And we can change that. You're changing that with Neil. You're supporting these businesses and helping them grow and helping them realize what they're, you know, they need and mm-hmm. recognizing who they are. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, we talk a lot about the process. A lot of people who are high performers in multiple different things, whether it's you know, design and art or, or finance. And I think what we, we try to focus on is the, the pursuit as much as it is the, the goal. And obviously, like we have yes. lofty goals of, of reaching every Canadian uh, and then potentially beyond that. 
But you really, you know, the way we look at entrepreneurship at NEO is that there's people who we work with, small businesses and large, regardless of whether they succeed or fail. It's, it's, and even for us as well, it's really that, that they're going for it, that they are going all out to the best of their ability to go and succeed. And it's that pursuit of excellence as much, as much as it is the actual achieving of it that we really try to celebrate. It's the journey, not the destination. I mean, honestly, you know, these things have been taught to us over and over and over again, and they're so true. It is the pursuit of something. You know, there is no there there. The goal always is going to move. It's all mm-hmm. the posts always move. The life shifts and changes. I mean, who could have predicted COVID? Who could have predicted any of the things that mm-hmm. are happening right now? So it's what you do in that context as you can down the road that actually yeah. really matters. And I, and I love what you're saying. And I think that speaks highly to the culture and the values of, of Neil. And I, I think that's awesome. When you think back to your own journey, and I read this in, in All In, that you were talking about you know, how work-life balance, uh, it was really freeing to you once you realized that it doesn't exist. Can you explain to listeners what you mean by the fact that work-life balance doesn't exist? I think the notion of balance implies like um, and some equality, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about scales being in balance, you think about their equalness and weight. Balance in life is very subjective. Some people, I'll use myself as an example. I love to work. I really enjoy it. I, I'm passionate about it. I get up every day to do it. I, 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 it's, it is my why. I, I find purpose in it. Mm-hmm. And if somebody said, hey, spend half your time doing you know, knitting and half your time doing business, I because it, it's going to be better for you. I still wouldn't feel balanced. I'd feel like off balance. I'd feel like holy smokes that my life is out of kilter right now. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I think it's very personal. You can't have somebody tell you what balance is for you. You have to find it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I think this there's so much guilt that comes along with thinking that you have to give everything an equal quotas to everybody. And so there's a lot of stress that gets created when you think that you're not giving as much to this thing today as you do to that thing, potentially, you know, like your kids versus your, your work. Well, some days your work's going to, you know, like demand more and some days your kids is, are going to demand more. And you have to allow that fluidity mm-hmm. to happen in life. Life isn't about measured kind of, I have to spend X hours a day doing these things. And to me, yeah. again, balance implies that. So do I think there's balance? I think it's, I think it's different for everybody. I think you have to seek yeah. it out for yourself. And whatever that is, is what you do. Yeah. And there's two people, at least in my own life, that, that come to mind on this topic. And one of them was my, one of my co-founders at, at Skip the Dishes, uh, Chris Samer. And, and when we would get asked about work-life balance, uh, you know, I really liked his response because he said, you have one life. It doesn't always need to be a trade-off. Like you don't always need no. to be trading your life for work. Like you should be doing things that energize you. And another person who he was brought in to consult at, at Skip the Dishes and, and do some performance coaching. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. And he would say, uh, when people would ask him, like, you know, what should I do after Skip or you know, what should I do now? And he he would always just say, do what excites you. Do what gives you energy. And to your point about knitting, <laughs> like knitting might be very draining for you, but working yeah. at building companies, talking to entrepreneurs, you might be able to do that 12 hours a day where other people like, so it just comes down to what's going to give you energy versus take energy away from you. And don't let anybody else tell you what's going to give you energy. Like this is back to, it is your life. You have one life to live. And and most people that I talk to um, Jeff, that, you know, if I talk to any Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs on a regular basis or even young adults who will say, Oh, my dad wants me to be a lawyer. And so I'm in law school and I'll say, do you love it? And they say, I hate it, but you know, it's really important to my dad. I'm going to, 
this is this is where we all start by trying to please other people and mm-hmm. doing the things that are going to make them happy. We don't find our own happiness, and and eventually we become martyrs. And uh, and life isn't enjoyable for martyrs. Martyrs end up, you know, living really, I think, really the hard lives because they don't get to live their own life. Well, and you also said something I really like. There is that, you know, don't let other people tell you what should give you energy and what shouldn't. And I, and I think that that's a tough one because we a lot of people do care. Maybe what people maybe don't know about you that is that you probably get told no a lot more than what people think. Oh, a lot. And they probably think they everyone's just kind of saying yes to you all the time. The reality is that you're you're aiming for, you know, the stars on a lot of the things that you're doing. Your your goals are bigger and therefore getting yeses is also a lot more difficult. And I wonder when you think about your own journey and you think about other people's journey, how do you look at what you're doing and decide, hey, I should start listening now uh, to the people who say I should call it quits or I should maybe pull out, make a change or I have to quit or I, I have to accept that no. I guess I will know that when the time comes, you know, <laughs> hasn't it, I, I, it, it's, it hasn't happened yet. Um, I, I, I listen to myself and I, maybe that day will come. I can't imagine it coming. Age has been an amazing gift. You've raised a hundred million with uh, District Ventures Capital. What are you looking for in companies? Is it the team? Is it the ideas? Is it the space in particular? What is kind of top of mind for you when it comes to investing in companies right now? I can't understate how important the entrepreneur and a fit with the entrepreneur is like mm-hmm. that. There's a, a genuine fit with them uh, philosophically that we believe that they um, are self-aware, that they're going to take advice, that they're going to, you know, great communicators, that they have a vision, that they have a team around them, that they know what they need in order to succeed. And, and what they and if they don't know, they know to ask. It's, it's very much driven off of, you know, a belief in, in the individual. Mm-hmm. Then I'd say it's it's really about whether or not their innovation or their product um, have they proven product market fit have they demonstrated um, the ability to scale you know with keeping margins in a good place have they demonstrated that there is the total addressable market is is looking mm-hmm. you know like that this goes that's scalable I guess is a better way to say it and then finally we're looking for you know kind of that whole you know, the value equation. Do they give back? Do they care about their community? Do they understand kind of what mm-hmm. needs to happen to be successful? And are they are they interested in a partner versus just capital? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're looking just for capital, then we're not going to be the right fit for them. We're looking for people that really want true partners and people are going to support and help their businesses to scale. So that's that's some of the things we look for. Arlene, we're almost at time. Before we go, I want to Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for putting up with all of my questions. Very grateful for your time today uh, and also for all the hard work that you put into many of the different things that you're doing. I really believe that you and people like you are making a huge difference in Canada. I think it's very, very needed and I'm very grateful for, for you doing that. Where can people follow you? Where can they learn more about you? How do they get in touch? Where's the best place to go? Well, Jeff, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I feel like I could have talked to you for a few hours more. I really admire everything you're doing at NEO and who you are as a person and, and just your style and approach. It's been a, a genuine pleasure to have a conversation with you. And I feel like I got more out of it than I 
potentially gave here. So thanks for that time. They can apply to the accelerator through Venture Park Labs. You can go online to ventureparklabs.com. They can apply to the uh, accelerator and to our kitchen there. They can apply to the fund through District Ventures Capital. And they can get me through either one of those avenues and on social media, kind of on all social media is Arlene Dickinson. Thank you, Arlene. Thanks very much.